In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is risen. Amen. Christos Anesti. Amen. We have heard today from the Acts of the Apostles, and it's in that the parallels from the Acts of the Apostles and the Gospel that we have heard today that I want to focus on. What has met our ears was the miracles that St. Peter did in the earliest days of his ministry. That same Peter who denied Christ three times, only a bit ago that we have heard of, and now he heals the sick merely by, touch, by the touch of a shadow, by the words from his mouth, he raises a woman who is already dead. What comes to my mind most prominently every year on this day is the similarities between what Peter did and what Christ did for the paralytic. Both said, rise, pick up your bed. Rise, you are redeemed from death and from sin. This is what the similarities of what Peter and of what Christ our Lord did on this day. Both are acts of mercy. They are a charity given to another that overcomes fear, despair, and death. Peter had a shaky faith on the day of Christ's salvific suffering. The very day our Lord suffered the passion for our sake, Peter denied ever knowing him, separating himself from God out of fear. Peter needed our Lord to reestablish him. The very thing that Jesus taught his disciples to do after his resurrection, to love Christ's sheep, is how the Master restored and made him once again to live as the rock of faith and by the rock of faith and to truly be Peter. So then what a curiously amazing thing we are told about the acts of Peter today. One who has walked with him, denied him, is restored and now has been greatly restored, raising those from the dead and healing those by his shadow. Christ healed the woman with the issue of blood when she pushed through a crowd and grasped his garment, but the crowds are healed when Peter's shadow just passes over them. The paralytic waited with no man to help him into the healing water, and Tabitha had a multitude of widows and the whole church present at Joppa, crying and pouring out their hearts to implore Peter to heal her. What a contrast. We are told today how Peter is fulfilling even the greater things that these, than these that Jesus promised his disciples they would do during his earthly ministry as he ministered among the people of Judea. The church in these early days was a small and zealous group. They lived by the promises of the Lord that he made and as he revealed his resurrected body to them and to all the faithful before his ascension to the mountaintop and to his kingdom. His disciples followed and listened to Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. After they lived in the life of the Holy Spirit and hearing his words, and so became filled with grace and power of God. It is because of this promised comforter who we are awaiting to, for to celebrate in this season as we approach Pentecost. It is by that comforter that Peter and all the disciples were able to raise the dead, heal the sick, and even resurrect the dead souls that resided under the law or under oppression of the demonic paganism. The Spirit enlivens them and turns them to walk in Christ's grace as one 
as ones who do not fear death. It is easy to only focus on the apostles and the great miracles that God granted them to perform for the benefit of that infant church. Indeed, these great things continue in the church. That charismatic gift of healing souls and bodies is given to some holy men and women, those we call the wonder workers of God. Miracles reveal the power of God as the conqueror of death, and they are really God's charity revealed to the world. This is really what miracles are. They're God's charity revealed to us. But we may still ask ourselves this. Why was this woman, Tabitha, raised from the dead? Or said, more directly relevant way to us, why are some given miracles and some others are not? What is it about this woman that God had Peter travel out of his way to come to her funeral and command her to rise? And why is it that Peter, Peter's word, at Peter's word, she opened her eyes and sat up, and Peter offered his own hand to her and gave her back to all of the mourners there? Why was this funeral turned from being an expression of sadness and even despair to one of celebration, joy, and awe at her resurrection? We might ask ourselves, why is not every funeral given this miracle? The beginning of an answer comes from the acts that we have just heard. And I would also venture to say that every funeral does end in the miracle, though we may not see it at first. Tabitha is praised for being full of good works and acts of charity. The gathered mourners show Peter all of the garments, all of the cloths that she made for them. She is a woman with a heart enlarged by God, a heart that embraced all and used her skills and her wealth to build up the members of the church and to bring those people into the church. Her name is Tabitha in Aramaic, but her Greek name is Dorcas, and we heard both names today used interchangeably. And that's because they're the same word, whether you're speaking Greek or you're speaking Aramaic. And that word means a gazelle. So she has the namesake of this beautiful creature of God, a creature that in the scriptures embodies beauty for us. And she lived up to her name. A gazelle leaps about and speedily travels through its environment, and Tabitha left about giving her charity and performing good work speedily. She clothed the needy, meeting Christ in her almsgiving. Tabitha not only worked to give to the needy, she was also like a gazelle in her soul. She left about cleansing the world and cleansing her soul of sin, asking the Holy Spirit to burn up the sins that are in her heart. She gained for herself through this inner and this outward manner of living a holy and great virtue. This is what she lived. She lived for the life to come and not simply to stock up earthly things that pass away or even simply to sell them out. Her virtue made her more beautiful than a gazelle. Solomon, we hear of a, another gazelle in scripture. Solomon's bride is described as a gazelle, but Solomon is only to describe parts of his wife, his future bride, the bride that he is describing as a gazelle. His bride's beauty only resembled the beauty of the gazelle in certain parts of her womanly beauty. But Tabitha embodied that majestic creature that was her namesake with her whole being. She was a beautiful woman inside and out. So here is some answer to our questions that I have posed. God desired to raise Tabitha from the dead 
and give this miracle to the church in Joppa so that they would not be deprived of this example of this woman, strong in virtue of the Lord. God desired to keep her a little while longer on earth, to use her talents to build up the faithful even more in that city. They needed her a little while longer, and so God granted this charity to them. Peter, hearing the Holy Spirit, was moved to have compassion on the church in Joppa. He desired the desire of God with his whole heart to restore to the mourning church, all the church there, this pillar and example of virtue to them. So they needed this for a time, and that's the beginning of an answer. It was not out of fear of death, nor that Tabitha would, having passed through death, entered into the realm, entering into the realm of saints, not be able to help them or aid them by her intercessions beyond the grave. The saints are not ones asleep, and he, asleep that cannot hear nor act on our behalf as we give our pleas to Christ and ask for their intercession. The saints actually are wondrously closer to God and us than we can even imagine. They are able to help us in invisible ways very often. It is only in rare instances that we are granted the grace to have the eyes to see the abundance of ways that they do help us, that they are involved in our lives. So it is not because Tabitha, after the, her, the death of her body, would not have any benefit to the faithful in Jaffa. No, she would still be an active saint, granting them charity from the heavenly realm. It is rather that Peter came and raised her from the dead to show them and to show us a couple millennia later that Christ is everywhere active in and through the church. They mourned and they feared death by her death. And so Peter is showing them death can be overcome when God sees fit. What we see in this miracle wrought through the hands of Peter is that our charity, the virtue that clothed Tabitha with beauty and emanated from her heart to all the people before her, is a victory over the way of death. Even in her life and by her charity, she conquered death. Peter was the first disciple of Jesus Christ, and he continued to spread the good news of Christ conquering death and freeing us from its corrupting fruits. He journeyed for the sake of Christ and was led by the Holy Spirit to proclaim and prove this to all by this miracle and the other miracles that we have heard in the epistle today. Peter shows the church that death has no permanent hold when he heals body and soul and makes the new believers in Jesus Christ our Lord as he journeyed. He made these believers everywhere he went. My brothers and sisters, this miracle of raising dead souls to life in Christ did not end with Peter. To believe this is to think that the power of the church has, its li has limits, but Christ has no limits, and so the church has no limits in resurrecting us from our dead souls and our bodies. He is the limitless one, and his victory is permanent. Today we are told that we are surrounded by death and fear it, and, cause, and it causes many of us to despair. This will manifest when we fear that we will be deprived of some good thing by following Christ in this life. When we first think of put self-gratifying pleasure, we will lose Christ's life within us if that becomes the first thing in our lives. When we allow this fear to enter our thinking, it is like a spiritual paralysis, a kind of death. And this is, we get a hint that this is what 
caused the paralysis of the paralytic. That some sin needed to be forgiven. We aren't told what sin, but just a sin was a cause. And Christ, we are told this because he said, sin no more when he, they met again. If you read a little further on in this chapter, this is what Christ does for him. When he meets him again in the temple after that man is thanking God for his healing. We think only of where we cannot go or what person we cannot see when self-gratifying pleasure becomes the center. When we are paralyzed by this, it is a potential mourning over our little death that we should have. Much like the widows in the crowd did when they saw that the breath of life was no longer working in Tabitha's lungs. Or we could be like the many people who ignored the paralytic by the pool for 38 years, offering no charity to him. When we don't allow ourselves to help someone in need, we have no charitable sacrifice to give to them, for some healing to give to them, to be that extension of Christ's love and charity to them, showing that we have no compassion when we don't do these things, and we are far from Christ's compassion and entering fully into it. This is the warning that we have today in the scriptures presented to us. In both instances, we do not have our ears open to the Holy Spirit nor our eyes looking upon Christ when this is our way. We instead are looking at life for life's sake, health for health's sake, personal improvement, simply to get more so-called improvement. When we look only at our life in this way, we only enter into a comedy of sin playing out in our lives. It is a fateful sentence to give ourselves over to this horrific comedy where we do not enter into Christ's charity, to live only and look at these things as the end to themselves. They will never give us something fulfilling. If you think a so-called Christian life is supposed to make you wealthy, fit, recognized, lead to some life of greatness, this is rather more like a pointless Christianity, a weak one, one so fearful of suffering to the point that it can't call itself Christian truly. That is the religion of the ego and of vanity, far from what our Christianity tells us to do, what Christ tells us to do, and not the way of the Lord who died on the cross and cut open Hades as we commemorated on Holy Saturday, that beast that devoured the dead and lived off of our fear to release us from its consumption. This is what Christ did. This is the Christianity that I hold to and that our church preaches. Nothing in the immortal one needed to suffer, but he did it for our sake, to enter into our suffering so that that could be a redemption to us. Peter healed Tabitha that she may complete the perfect and good work that is a pure love for men. This love glorifies God and is the sacrificial love of God for his creation. Peter and Tabitha both trusted in the Lord that his life reached beyond death, beyond their own self-gratified powers. It is the, this faith that causes the number of believers in Joppa to grow. Their faith is, the one who entered in, of, is in the one who entered our suffering when he died but did not need to. I want that faith over everything else. Do you? Take up this faith that scorns death and embraces life today. That great man, St. Nikolai of Ordid, who we hear of so often and who sometimes goes by the title, the new Chrysostom, the new golden mouth for his preaching, 
we hear from his words so often here at this pulpit, this ambun. But he has these timely words for us about the suffering of the paralytic man, paralyzed because of a sin. This is what he tells us. In place of death, God gives healing through suffering. Suffering is God's way of healing the soul in its sinful leprosy and its death. At times, even it is, it seems to a sick man that the medicine is worse and more bitter than the sickness itself. And so it seems at times to the sinner the suffering, that suffering is harder and more bitter than the sin that they committed. But this is only an illusion, a very strong self-delusion, St. Nikolai tells us. There is no suffering in the world that could be anywhere near as hard and destructive as sin is in our lives. All the suffering borne by men and nations is none other than the abundant healing that eternal mercy offers to men and nations to save them from eternal death. Every sinner, every sin, however small, would inevitably bring death if mercy were not to allow suffering in order to sober men up from their inebriation of sin. For the healing that comes through suffering is brought about by the grace-filled power of the Holy Spirit and life-giving Spirit. So today, suffering can be a medicine, my friends in Christ. What a great medicine St. Nikolai's words can be for us this morning. Let us take in this word about suffering, let us take it as a curing medicine for our soul. Do not let fear take root. Our faith teaches us to proclaim the gospel in all circumstances. To proclaim the gospel while we suffer and to join those who are suffering. The gospel tells us that in suffering we turn to Christ so that its stringent ointment may heal us. We experience hardship and suffering to cleanse us of all our hidden and our secret sins, ones we may not even know about. For 38 years, who knew the cause of perhaps this paralytic man? Those sins, hidden even from our own minds and our own culture perhaps, or our own national body, which few will speak of. Suffering is a medicine for our souls, but we also give to others abundantly to show that death has no hold on us. When we occasionally taste of some sweet miracle that the life giver such gives to us, such as Jesus did for the paralytic after his 38 years of suffering and abandonment, and Peter gave to the church in Joppa when they believed that they lost Tabitha and her charity to eternal death. When Christ healed, when Peter healed and rose from the them from their beds of suffering and sin and washed all of it away, when sweet things like this happen, give thanks to God for the grace that he has given us to those who are always unworthy and rejoice in his mercy that he dispenses to us, that we may wake up to his presence, that he is here with us and the glory of his mighty power that is our loving physician's hand. This is what heals our souls as we accept his treatment for it. So go forth and proclaim this day that the victory over death is given when we give to others, when we embrace the sufferings that may be in our life and ask God to make them our salvation. Then they are transformed in our life and they become our victory dance against death. The death that may exist in our hearts and that may happen in our actions can be overcome when we embrace these things. 
So let us sing together that Christ is risen and tramples down death by death as he entered into the cross and rose from the dead and continues his work as we are demonstrated today in the epistle and today in this, our very lives. We can overcome death because Christ is risen. Amen.